Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com And we are recording. We are back again for another episode of 27 Speaks. Everybody good? Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Love the fall. Eager for the election. Yeah. We've got pretty good weather, too, so we can't complain. Although I'm sure we'll find some reason to do that, because that's what we do. <laughs> We're complainers and whiners, so, you know. You know. Hey, Santa's, Santa's watching, so be be good. The goose is getting snapped. This is the time of year when it really matters. Yeah, <laughs> It's true. It's like now that, you know, I'm starting to get, like, all of the, the press releases coming in about the holiday happenings. I'm like, the pumpkins aren't even rotten yet. No, know? no. We haven't so, even had a good frost as of yeah, our recording yeah. here. No, I'm probably I'm thinking I'm gonna put the heat on in our in our pool today and get one last dip in. Nice for you. Yeah. Hopefully there's no dead voles in the bottom because I found this. That's <laughs> <laughs> always really gross. I stepped on one one time. Oh, oh no. Night, swimming at night. I'm like, I don't like the feeling of whatever that was under my foot. So yeah. They have little bowls that you put on the edge of the pool and it stares for wildlife to get out of the pool. Yeah. But you know what? I don't know. I mean, I'm, well, I've got more bowls than I need, if you know what I'm saying. So you don't need to help them out. They're, they're eating everything in my yard. So if one finds its way to the bottom of the pool, I'm not going to shed too many tears. <laughs> he sleeps with the fishes. <laughs> fishes. <laughs> Anyways, that was Bill Sutton we heard at the top of the podcast. Hi, Bill. Hey, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. And also here is Brendan O'Reilly. Hiya, Brendan. Hi, Annette. Hi, everybody. I'm Brendan. I'm the deputy managing editor. Joe Shaw is back with us again. Hi, Joe. Hi, Annette. Joe Shaw, I'm the executive editor. And I'm Annette Hankel. I'm the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. And we have a very special guest today. And joining us is Molly Bishop the executive director of Heart of the Hamptons. And this is the food pantry that operates out of the Sacred Hearts of Jesus and Mary Roman Catholic Church on Hill Street in Southampton. How are you, Molly? Thanks for coming. I'm well. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're, we're glad to have you here. Um, so we thought we're getting into, speaking of fall, we're getting into that season where um, generally the need starts ramping up a bit at our local food pantries. But um, Kaylin Riley had a story in the paper recently about the need increasing a lot sooner and in bigger ways than we have experienced out here. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Um, yeah. I thought Kaylin did a great job with that article and I was so glad that she reached out um, to write it. Um, but yeah, we have seen uh, sort of an unprecedented um, growth in, in the numbers of visits. It started last summer really. And um we just finished our last distribution for October and October we've had 955 visits to the pantry, which last October we had 646. So um, definitely more and more families in need, but also it seems like more and more families um, are reporting that their hours are being cut earlier. Um, and so they're in need sooner than um, in the last couple of years. Huh. 
why, why do you think they're losing their hours sooner than um, they've had in the past? I'm just wondering, because it just seem, always seems like it's so busy out here still. I know. I know. I haven't felt it like, uh, you know, as a as a resident mm-hmm. uh, that it seems quieter or slower. But, you know, certainly after COVID, it felt like a lot of people were coming out a lot more on the weekends, were coming out for the long weekends, the holidays, um, and a lot of things stayed very busy. And I'm wondering if maybe that dynamic is changing people don't really care about keeping their house nice until you know thanksgiving or christmas they've moved on and they're not coming back till easter um like it used to be a few years ago but um i'm not sure you know mm-hmm. seems seems to me i it's important for people to understand that it seems like there's a portion of the population out here that needs the food pantries to survive like it's part of their daily survival yes mechanism right that that, yes. that that they this isn't just an emergency situation for for people you're serving this is how they live here this is how they can afford to be here yeah, yeah we're not talking about homeless people or indigent people i mean this is these are are working working class people who who have jobs and go to work every day but still have trouble making ends meet right yes Definitely. I mean, it's a very expensive place to live. I mean, we all know that at every level, it's expensive to live. Uh, Rents, a lot of times for a single family home are more than what most people are paying for a mortgage. Um, Rents for just a single bedroom in a boarding house is what you might have paid for a whole house or, or certainly a one or two bedroom apartment not too long ago. Um, it's pretty hard to live here and to work here without a car. So you have that expense too. Um, and everything is just, it's just expensive. Um, and the wages have certainly not kept up. Um, you know, people aren't seeing hundred percent increase in their wages, um, where you might see that in the cost of housing. Um, so, you know, I'm wondering, do we feel like a lot of, of new working people may have moved out here in the years since COVID or two years since COVID. Um, and I'm just wondering if, if we just have a larger population of working people who maybe understood that they could make money out here and they are now new residents um, who are in need of assistance. I think that's probably true. I mean, we've had, we've signed up 450 new families so far this year, mm-hmm. which is like double what the new families we had last year was for the whole year. Um, I think definitely people, you know, hear around uh, that there are um, labor intensive jobs out here that are available, that are high paying, that um, you can come here and make a good living, um, certainly in the summer months. And then the reality of the winter months sets in. Um, yeah. And maybe don't know where else to go or what else to do. And they're not sure what they're getting into. Like they think that the wages that they see in the summer are what's going to sustain them through the winter. And then suddenly they realize what the reality is. Yes. And and you, you had thought that things were going to relax a little after, after COVID. I mean, everybody saw that, that huge boost in need during the pandemic. A lot of people were, were, were laid off, lost jobs. Um, and and all that. And so the, they were, you know, I think we reported and you guys talked about dramatically high numbers during the pandemic. But then you you guys had assumed that that was kind of going to kind of slow down and get back to normal 
um, you know, since the end of the pandemic, but you've seen just the opposite, right? Well, we saw that for about a year, maybe yeah. even a year and a half. Um, starting in the fall of 2020, the numbers started to kind of go down back, you know, still much higher than what they were uh, in 2019. But then, it, you know, in 2021, we did we did have fewer visits to the pantry. We provided fewer number of meals, um, but it was uh, it was summer of 2022 where everything started to just ramp back up. Um, and we have, you know, March of this year, we had 1,221 visits, which is 400 more than any month during the COVID pandemic. It's, um, you know, it's double what we had last March. Um, and that's all, that's all 1200. That's all new, like all different people. No. So that that's the number of times somebody came to the pantry. Uh, we only let people come once a week. So, um, mm -hmm. somebody might come every week, uh, for those four weeks, but, um, but yeah, so it's like a week's worth of groceries. I, I, I wonder mm -hmm. if 2021, I mean, there were a lot of stimulus uh, payments from from the yep. government and people had kind of built up um, some savings. I, I think from from that when when they could. I wonder if mm -hmm. that um, if that skewed those numbers a little bit, and and then that money ran ran out, and and it was just back to reality. I think I think there was definitely some of that. Um, definitely, there was um, increased uh, food stamps and SNAP benefits that were available for most of 2021. That we started to see some families come back that hadn't been in a while. Um, but I think a, 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 the large majority of our clients uh, weren't eligible for those type of stimulus payments um, because they're immigrants with. You know, and you have to have a social security number in order to be getting um, food stamps or um, the stimulus checks. So, Molly, I'm curious. I believe the stat that that we had in the story was that you've seen an increase in the number of people coming to Heart of the Hamptons for help for 14 consecutive months, I think is was the statistic. Yeah. So that's obviously a trend. Do you see that as being a trend that's that what what scares me is is that going to continue? Do you see it as an open-ended trend that it's going to just keep increasing as we go forward? Or do you think do you see any signs that it's sort of leveling off? We have not seen any signs that it's leveling off. I mean, I do feel like at some point there has to be some sort of ceiling because the the jobs won't be there and the housing is already not there. So at some point, uh, low-income families are going to find that there is a, a better life someplace else, I, I think. Um, you know, I mean, we we will do everything we can to keep up with whatever the increase is. Um, so we're not so much worried about that. Uh, you know, we just want to make sure that we have what we need to, to provide what we need to each week. But the people that you serve at the pantry, are they all residents of Southampton or like, how do you, do you know, you know, are they picking up food in Southampton and maybe they're living further west outside of Southampton town? I'm just wondering if the people that you serve have to live in the geographic town. So we um, 
we do say that we only serve Southampton town residents. So it does include, you know, Bridgehampton, Sag Harbor, Hampton Bays, Flanders, West Hampton. Um, but uh, occasionally we do make exceptions. You know, if somebody works here in the village, but maybe they live in Riverhead or Manorville, but it's too hard for them to get to the pantry there. I mean, we consider the, the workforce here in the village, you know, part of our constituency also. So we do have some people, um, same goes for East Hampton. We have, you know, maybe 30 or 40 families that come to us that really live in East Hampton, but are here working during the day. Um, half of the clients that we've had so far this year live within Southampton, within 11968. Mm -hmm. uh, then the next largest block would be Hampton Bays. So, I mean, it's it's pretty local. Do, um, do you do track the demographics? And, and you you mentioned, look, hungry is hungry, and it doesn't 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 matter who you're feeding. But you had mentioned, yes, um, you know, immigrant labor, Spanish speaking labor. Do you do you have an idea, a breakdown of uh, numbers percentages of of uh, of that and i don't know maybe that's an unfair question but um no i mean i think is it probably is it, it mostly is it mostly immigrant labor or is it is it half 50 50 is it mixed is it what i think it would probably be the majority uh latinx population uh immigrants to the united states then uh seniors is a large block um you know, some some families from the Shinnecock Nation, some, um, you know, low income families uh, from around Southampton Town. Um, so I, you know, I think there is a large population of Latinx families that develop that depend on us because they're not eligible for any other support. Um, and I also wonder if maybe the reason you're seeing the uptick is that the word is getting out that it's an available resource. That's the other thing too. Like maybe these populations have been here, but they're just now becoming aware of your services in the last year. Do you know what I mean? Definitely. And we've done a lot of work with the local school districts to advertise all of the, we're in constant contact with all of the guidance counselors in the different school districts in our town. Um, for them to share the resources with family, for us to bring the food to the guidance counselors and have them even deliver it to the family. So, um, you know, we would really want to make sure that there are no families out there that are falling through the cracks that are going without um, out the food that they need for everybody to have enough food in the household. Molly, in addition to the food pantry, what services is Heart of the Hamptons providing? Uh, we talk to the clients about if they are eligible for any other entitlement programs, HEAP, SNAP, WIC, um, anything else that we can help to, you know, stabilize their finances. And sorry, could you spell out those acronyms? Because oh, sure. they're not going to be familiar to all of our listeners. Sure. So SNAP would be what people consider food stamps. Um, WIC is, uh, is, um, it used to be mostly just dairy products for pregnant women and um, young children, but now it's it's kind of like a, another um, food stamp card where they can get healthy foods for children under the age of five or pregnant women. Uh, that's available to everyone. You don't have to necessarily have a social security card. And then HEAP would be um, home heating and energy assistance. Um, so we do a lot of work to help families with that. We have an emergency assistance fund where we help families with gaps in rent or um, 
you know, seniors, we help them a lot of times with property tax payments that they can't afford, um, heating, electric bills, car repairs, medical bills. Uh, we provide medical transportation for uh, cancer patients, low-income cancer patients or um, seniors. Um, and then we also give out clothing, uh, personal care items, laundry detergent, shampoo, soap, uh, toothpaste, all essential items that people need to live a healthy life. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Raro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com 27 Speaks is brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books. Independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sag Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton. They buy books, collections, libraries, individual titles. Very easy process. They handle everything. Do you have books to sell? Call or email today or visit SouthamptonSagHarborBooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations, including office positions. Are you taking donations routinely of clothes, and, and what about larger op, um, what about larger items such as toys for children and furniture? So we do take clothes every Tuesday and Thursday. We're open for clothing uh, donations from ten to two, or by appointment outside of those hours, and we we take new on unopened toys. We run a toy drive every year, which we're about to start now, where we give out over a thousand toys uh, to parents. Um, you know, we, we've taken a little bit of criticism because we did used to have some volunteers that used to like to come and wrap the toys, but we think it's really important to give the toys to the parents to let them pick what they think their child will enjoy. And they get to be the ones that are sharing them with their children, not us. Um, so we're about to launch that. It's our, I think it's our 31st annual, um, toy drive. Uh, this year. And we can't take any furniture. We don't have the space to store it, but we, anytime somebody calls, we do connect them with Habitat for Humanity. We'll take furniture and household appliances and stuff. And they're set up at the um, North Sea. Transfer stage. Yeah. Every Wednesday. I, I was going to ask, you know, the holidays coming up, you enter a new phase. You, you talked a little bit about the toys um, tell us what you do during the holidays, which is sort of in addition to what you do year round, but um, this is going to be a really key month or two for, for your organization. Definitely. Um, we start now, like pretty much now uh, with Thanksgiving. So we're getting ready to start giving out everything that our families will need for a festive Thanksgiving meal. Um, we, uh, you'll start to see our red stars at stores all over the East end, um, to pick up and pick out a, a gift for a child. Um, we host our toy giveaway at the Southampton Presbyterian church the week of December 11th. Um, like I said, we'll give out a thousand toys to kids just here in our community. Um, it, that, that's really just two gifts each for each child for every family that we serve here at the pantry. And um, 
And then we give out extra meals at Christmas. We give out extra meals over the school breaks because we know that kids are going to be eating more meals at home um, and not getting the school meals that they're used to. So it definitely is a busy time. And then thrown in the middle there is our biggest fundraiser of the year, which is our polar bear plunge. So this year is our 20th anniversary, which is pretty amazing. And um, that's on Saturday, December 9th. Coming up. And, and to, to echo some Brendan's question. So if people want to help part of the Hamptons, mm-hmm. what I assume cash donations are much easier for you to, to work with. And, but what are the various ways people can help the organization? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like you said, cash donations do go pretty far because we can purchase food from our wholesalers and the food banks. But um, we love to have volunteers. Uh, we love to accept clothing. We just hosted our second uh, annual Mom's Day out yesterday where we invited all of our food pantry moms to come and take clothes and coats and um, household items and get haircuts. So we have no clothes left. Uh, we've given away everything that we had mm. here. So any clothing or coat donations that people want to drop off, that would be great. Uh, volunteers working in the pantry is great. Um, uh, picking up a star and and buying uh, gifts, spreading the word about the plunge, um, all of these things. You know, setting up if you know you have a business or you frequent a business around town and want to ask them if they want to put a food collection bin um, there for people to leave food over the next couple of weeks. That's great. Who did the haircuts? We had eight stylists. I couldn't possibly name them all, um, so I won't try. But uh, uh, Robin Priato, who's our programs manager here, she did an excellent job. We had eight stylists come, and they were busy for the whole three hours, uh, giving all the moms haircuts and blowouts. And um, it was really very special. That's very neat. That can be a very um, expensive endeavor if you're not. Yeah. um, so are you hearing yeah. stories from other pantries around the East End that they're seeing the same level of increases that you are? Because I feel, I feel like Carter of the Hamptons is probably the biggest, one of the biggest pantries out here. So I'm wondering if maybe you have more visibility or more people going to you and maybe not going to some of the smaller pantries or just wondering if it's across the board that you're hearing these stories. I th- I think that the smaller pantries have still been a little busier than they normally are, um, not not that they're, you know, losing clients or hurting for clients. Um, I haven't talked to as many of them, but I've I've certainly talked to some of the the bigger ones or or heard reports from them. Um, you know, like the Springs Food Pantry or Cast on the North Fork, and they're seeing the same thing. Um, you know, of really pandemic like numbers. Hi, this is Michael Wright. I'm a reporter for the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, and 27East.com. I cover East Hampton Town and follow important stories about the environment, including the coming South Fork Wind Farm, its impact on the fishing industry, and other water quality issues. We follow East Hampton Town and village government, and I'm asking the tough questions and providing you with important answers. My colleagues and I in the editorial department work hard as watchdogs for this community, but we can't do it without our subscribers. If you find the work we're doing valuable to you, please subscribe by visiting 27East.com forward slash subscribe. Thank you very much. I, you know, 
I kind of want to wander into a minefield here a little bit. Um, I think what you do and what the other food pantries do on the East end is incredible work. And, uh, you know, I think it's amazing that you're able to make the difference that you guys make. So I'll preface everything by saying that. Yeah. I worry that what we have now and maybe some of the numbers that you're seeing suggest it's increasing is that we have an underclass that is just being created in our midst and we're just accepting it that that there are there are a group of men and women and children among us who are doing really important jobs in our community who cannot afford to live even a standard mm-hmm. of living that 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 you know that they don't need to turn to charitable help and we seem to be accepting that 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 i think so many of us are willing to help the local pantries because that's the charitable thing to do and again what you guys do is just is just essential but man i wonder when we're going to get to the heart of this problem that 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 there's nobody in our midst who shouldn't be able to afford to live here mm-hmm. and shouldn't be able to afford a meal yeah. for crying out loud you know it it's it's alarming to me that the charitable efforts are stepping up but that you have to um we we don't seem to be addressing the root causes here we're we're addressing the fallout but we're not addressing the root problem yeah well definitely i mean we've been talking about the root problem for years decades maybe um which is housing um, and that is that is it, right? That That's is it. I mean, that people a can't find a place to live, or if they do, you know, you know, they're the, the inventory is so limited that the price could basically be whatever you want it to be. Um, the houses that sometimes are available, um, the conditions are so terrible and disgusting. Um, you know, I, I hate to say that, but, um, you know, even like we have families that sometimes will rent an unfinished basement, you know, I mean, living in an unfinished basement is like what a, you know, or, or just bouncing around from staying with friends because they really don't have a permanent place or they're trying to, but it only lasts a few months or living in a shared house where the, the main tenant tells them they have no access to the kitchen that, you know, just stay in your one bedroom that you're renting for $1,800 a month. I was going to say, and doing all of those things and still not having enough money left over to, to buy food because you're still paying three times, four times what you would have paid 10 years ago. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, let's be honest. If I mean, you know, all of us sitting on this Zoom call, if we hadn't bought our houses when we did, right. mm-hmm. there's a very good chance we would be needing the pantry to survive out here absolutely um, you know like we're we were the fortunate ones who got in here before um every and i think that's probably the other thing is the everything you know ever since the covid pandemic drove a lot of people to come out here and buy homes and that really drove up the price of homes and also i guess the price of rentals i feel like that's also probably what you're seeing is that even even the 2019 rents were probably a bit more manageable than they became after Uh that influx and if you think about it too it's like you know a a a little maybe two bedroom cape or a two bedroom ranch is selling for over a million dollars right now so for a landlord it's like i'm just going to sell it or um 
or if I am going to rent it, I'm going to make the rent so much that it's worth it for me to keep it. Right. I mean, hopefully we're getting to the point where the accessory dwelling units there, you know, if they get the legislation figured out for that, but it hasn't been all that helpful um, in the past, you know, like not allowing people to have kitchens in their, you know, accessory dwelling units. And so I think that's probably what we're also seeing is that the, the towns are getting a little bit more understanding about allowing people to make these things legal um, and at an affordable rate, right? Yeah. And I think too, I mean, we've heard certainly a lot of stories from people that they they only want one adult. Mm -hmm. They don't want families to rent their garage or uh, the basement apartment that they've been able to add. They they want something with like a you know a lesser footprint, I guess, on their on their property. Um, yeah, I mean, I I have friends that are always hopping around. You know, they have full time jobs, but they don't own anything. And and I guess, you know, at this point, what I'm hearing, the growing rate for a house is basically it's $2,000 per bedroom, you know, like that's what she's been finding anyways. Um, and she's got two children and she's trying to, you know, rent a three bedroom house. That's six grand automatically right there. And it seems like that's a pretty, pretty much the starting rate from what, what we're saying. Yeah. And this is, this is the fallout of that is that that has an impact on quality of life. It has an impact on some people's quality of life to start with, but that starts to take an impact on everybody's quality of life then too. There's a, there's a ripple effect of that, that I wonder if, you know, we're the frogs in the pot and it's been slowly getting warmer and warmer. At what point do we realize that this crisis is, is, it's really taking a toll on people's lives and that's going to spread and it's going to take a toll on everybody's life eventually. I think it's really an, it's really an existential crisis for the region um, because all of the problems that we're having start to take a toll on how appealing the region is mm -hmm. to all of those summer visitors who we count on to drive the economy, um, to buy the houses here. Uh, I feel like it all eventually comes back. Mm -hmm. yeah. And not, not for nothing, but the, you know, the employers out here who have tried to build um, worker housing on their property or other properties have not gotten a very welcoming reception when it comes to um, housing their own employees, which, you know, I feel like that's something else that's going to have to change. You know, when you have employers who are willing to actually, do something to house their employees and people are pushing back against that. That's, mm -hmm. I don't know how much longer people can get away with doing yeah. that. Right. I mean, and then, you know, you see like the, the um, enrollment in the schools, the year round enrollment going down and down because more and more families can't afford to live here year round. And, and then you wonder what, like, like what Joe was saying, you wonder what that ripple effect is for those of us that want a year round life here. Um, does it go back to the way it was, you know, 30 years ago when I was growing up or where everything closed after Labor Day and that was just it. And then it didn't reopen until Memorial Day. And there was like Megan's and that was the only restaurant that was still open. <laughs> and I, you know, the all you talk about the people who want to rent to one adult yeah. rather than a family. I Yeah, I think that's common out here. People are going to get their wish. And you're going to lose all of the young families 
and then you'll see what you what the region is like. It'll be a very different region to live in, and and I I don't think it'll be what people are expecting it to be. I think it'll be very different and not nearly as attractive um, as it has been. Let me change gears for a second, Molly. Um, you're still in uh, Sacred Hearts of Jesus and Mary uh, Church facility, right? Yep. You have a facility to move into. What's the what's the status of that move? Um, how does that work? What's what's the the process? So uh, Wright and Company, uh, based in Bridgehampton, is managing the the renovation project that we're doing on Forty Four Meeting House Lane. It is coming along beautifully. Uh, we are so grateful to them um, for everything that they've done so far. And uh, it's looking like probably January, mid-January, end of January, that we might be able to move in there. Um, they, uh, they're getting all the mechanicals and everything done right now. I drove by there this morning and the electric company was there and the fire code, fire alarm system guy was there. So, um, it's pretty exciting. We can't, you know, we can't wait. We've been here for 43 years. So it's, it's um, going to be a lot to move, but, uh, but it's pretty exciting to have this, you know, brand new space to move into. And um, the partnership that we already have also with the Presbyterian church right on the other side of the parking lot is going to make it even that much more special. So what is the Presbyterian church uh sharing with you what was was dumpsters one of the things that made it more feasible to be there one of the yeah was the dumpsters and then um they sort of uh gave their permission for the use of the parking lot even though they felt like they didn't really need to do that since they already lease it as um open public use but um just as an extra you know that they had no problem with that um extra use and for the people that are going by there uh, on their way to work or, you know, spending their summer strolls, what are they going to notice when they go past there? When is it going to be uh, busy or operating or when will they see people coming in and out? Um, our current schedule right now is Wednesday and Friday mornings from 10 to 12. We give out food. Uh, so those times are are busy. They'll see, you know, cars pulling in to get food and pulling out. Um, there's, you know, there's a chance that we may find that those hours are not the best hours in that location and change them in the future. But um, at least as of right now, that's the plan is to be, you know, consistent and stay with that. Um, this summer, we did end up closing on Fridays uh, because there was a lot of uh, construction going on here at Sacred Hearts in the parking lot. And and that ended up fine. So if if we find out that that in the new location, Friday mornings is, is too busy, you know, we could certainly close those days and just give out food for longer hours on Wednesday or another day. And even though you're at Sacred Hearts, you're not actually affiliated with Sacred Hearts, right? You're a tenant? We are a tenant. Um, we are a, um, a what would you say? A gratis tenant. Like we don't pay any rent. <laughs> so it's a very generous uh, lease agreement that they have given us. Uh, we started as a project um, as during Father Trench's uh, tenure here at Sacred Hearts, but we ended up filing for our own 501c3 status. I think it's been about 18 years now that, that we've had that independent um, status. 
and we do operate independently, um, but try to partner with them, you know, whenever they have somebody that comes to them for help, um, you know, and see how we can help them as well. So when do you expect the new facility to be ready for you to move into? I think it's going to be like the end of January, beginning, you know, beginning of February at the latest that everything will be done. Um, we might be able to start moving over there, you know, with some things. Now you're going to have more space there. It's going to be easier to um, to manage rather than being in the basement that you're in now. It's certainly going to be easier. Uh, it's all going to be ground level. Everything can roll right out on a cart. Um, so that's nice. Um, we've been approved to have a walk-in refrigerator freezer in the backyard. Um, so that that's a huge bonus um, for us. Um, we'll have some, you know, some spaces might be a little smaller and some spaces might be a little bigger um, than what we have now. I don't want to dredge up bad feelings here, but you, you did face some opposition uh, when this plan came before the village. What's your takeaway from all that? Were you, were you surprised by that or did you expect to hear some of that? And did, did that, I, I, I just wonder what kind of a toll that takes on you as the executive director when, when you, when you're doing what you do every day, but you feel like, um, you know, I feel like you, you probably the job you do, really requires on feeling like you have community support all the time. And that was a moment where you had a segment of the community that wasn't very supportive of it. I, I'm just wondering how you came out of all that. Yeah. Um, I guess uh, sort of, you know, the 15 years with my dad in politics helped <laughs> quite a bit to know that there's always going to be two sides. Your, da to your dad every... was a sem um, sorry, uh, state assemblyman, Tim Bishop. Congressman. What am I saying? Okay. Yes, of course. I wish he still was, Joe. <laughs> Congressman <laughs> Tim Bishop. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I think I, it sort of uniquely prepared me for having to have uh that sort of public uh, discourse and the opposition and um but it it definitely is disheartening you know i still hear sometimes uh you know certain neighbors you know telling other people in the community that you know we are making up the numbers of people that are coming to to the pantry just to look more sympathetic or that we really should have taken the money that we put into that building and bought something um so that we're not you know taking anything away from the village and um you know we don't we don't consider ourselves anything like that you know we don't consider ourselves as taking anything away and and, and we pride ourselves on giving uh everything we do we give away for free and and the you know, the nearly million dollar improvement to the ambulance barn isn't ours. It is the village's. Uh, that building is not ours. And at some point we will give it back to the village and or it'll, you know, morph into some other community effort just in the same way that it started as a community effort to be the ambulance barn. And um, so, you know, some of those things can be disheartening, but um there is so many wonderful things about what we do uh, that it just fills you right back back up. And, you know, I hope that there are no long-term hard feelings uh, with the neighbors. I, I do hope that once we are there operating and they see that it's really not that big a deal, it's really not the worst thing ever. You know, like even yesterday, we had a hundred of our moms um, 
come to get clothes right there in the rec room at the Presbyterian church and park right in that same parking lot. And the world didn't end. It was, it was a great day. They probably, you know, thought, Oh, there's a few more cars here than normal, but not that big a deal, you know, and based how quiet the villages can be in the winter. It's kind of nice to see some life. I think, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, well, certainly the first couple of times I went for a walkthrough, it was pretty clear there was like raccoons or something that was living in the attic. So <laughs> we'll be better than that. <laughs> if you're paying rent, that's what I want to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. Good point. But, you know, it's also important that the people who live here see the people who work here and, and do need help, you know, like why should that be hidden? You know, that it's okay for you to come and take care of my lawn, but I don't want to see you when you're in need. I mean, it's just, I don't know. I know. You know, I mean, I don't think it's a common feeling. I think anybody that has kids in the schools understands, you know, all of our schools uh, in pretty much every school in the town of Southampton is giving out free lunch and free breakfast to every student because we are over 50% in need. Um, and so they qualify for grants to be able to do that. And so it's like, you know, that the need is there, you know, that um, there are families that are struggling to, to get by that are living um, with far less than what they really need to have. Um, I think maybe, you know, there's a different population that is more isolated that, that thinks that that need is not here. But Also people who may have been um, nervous about coming out and asking for help just because maybe of their their status or other things. I, I get the sense that that fear is, is going away and, and people are realizing that that's not going to be something that's going to get them in trouble by coming forth and asking for help, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, our clients all understand, um, you know, that we don't share information about them with anyone. We don't, you know, they're, you know, everything that they give us is confidential within our organization. Um you know, we do have some people that don't want to be seen necessarily coming during food pickup um, and they come on different days or different hours. And maybe if somebody saw their car here, they would think they're volunteering or, you know, they're coming to drop off something. But, um, you know, at, you know, we want to be as welcoming and and open to everyone to feel comfortable to come to us. That's actually an interesting point, Molly. I, I'll bet there are families that you're serving that might surprise people. Yes. Yes, definitely. Families that work in in government, that work in banks, work at, at the schools, um, that, you know, are coming. It's not just, you know, landscaping or house cleaning and um, but really professional jobs that that it's it's too hard. And certainly a one income household uh, would be really tough uh, for anybody to make it out here. You know, the safety net that you provide is so valuable. I just find it amazing that in a region that has an economy that's as successful as it is out here, um, if it can't function without this kind of dysfunction, if that's a necessary part of this economy, then something's really wrong. And maybe, maybe that is something everybody needs to see in a more visible way to, to be reminded of it all the time, you know? Mm -hmm. So should we have Molly give the contact information, website and things like that? Oh, sure. Yeah. So it's, um, heart of the Hamptons all spelled out.org. Um, you can uh, come by, like you said, we're still at 168 Hill street here at sacred hearts Basilica. Uh, we're here every day, uh, Monday through Friday. If, uh, you people want to volunteer, you can sign up to volunteer on our website or, or donate, um, 
you can find the hours for dropping off clothing and and all of that. So thank you so much. And yeah. start training for that polar bear plunge. It's coming up. Yes. Start doing some cold water <laughs> swimming. <laughs> like about your yeah. costumes. So Molly, do, you, yes. do you go in the water that day? I do. Do you I dress do. up in funny costumes? Or? I don't dress up in a costume. Um, that's a little out of my, my comfort although zone. Although actually but, it would probably um... be warmer, like get a bear suit. I mean, you know. Yes. Although a stopping wet bear suit. Well, yeah, you end up with a wet yeah, bear Yeah, wet bear suit. suit. <laughs> I need like a wet bear. <laughs> yeah. And what's the date of the plunge again? It's December 9th, at, uh, Saturday, December 9th at Cooper's Beach, uh, 10 a.m. We all take the plunge. So, so be there. Last year, I think we had over, I think we had over 800 people come. Wow. You'll excuse me from that. Uh, I've done it. I did it once. I don't think I want to do it again, no. but but I have proxies who do it for me and I support them 100% and nice. fund them. You get pledges? Is that how it works? Yes. Okay. Yeah. People get pledges of people to, to support them uh, plunging. Um, I am a supporter and I will continue to be a supporter. We'll be standing on the sand. Yeah. You do not want to test the uh, emergency response folks there no. by, by having me go in the really cold water. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Joe, we won't look for you in the water then. No. No. Yeah. Well, still happy to help them. Yeah. Thanks. Happy to Twenty-seven Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27east.com, and sagharborexpress.com Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.